Hi there, my name is John Whitaker, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. Here on the Bible in Life, we're all about giving what I call blue jeans theology. That is Bible teaching that is rooted in everyday life, dressed like everyday life, in the language of everyday life, so that we can follow Jesus right in the midst of our everyday life. So thanks for joining me on this episode. I'm glad you're here. And it's hard for me to believe that it's already the month of June. In my neck of the woods, that means that we are entering into the summer months. The weather is warming up. The little kitty swimming pool's already been out in the backyard a few times for my little grandkids to play in and splash in. And man, summer activities are already being planned and ramped up. That's just hard for me to believe where you're listening from. If you're if you're in the southern hemisphere, man, welcome to winter, right? Like June is uh, winter for you. So wherever you're listening from, I'm just glad you're here and you're a part of the Bible in Life family. We have been in a series where we're exploring what I've called questions of doubt. The kinds of questions that we wrestle with Sometimes when we're honest with our faith, maybe we wrestle behind closed doors. We don't let anyone know the kinds of things that maybe just kind of even needle at our faith sometimes and cause us to question things. And we've been trying to be honest with those questions while at the same time say, but here's some things to keep in mind as we wrestle with them and explore them. And the reason for that is because we're not the first people to ever wrestle with these kinds of questions. Uh, Faithful followers of Jesus have been wrestling with these kinds of questions for a very, very long time. And so we've just been seeking to uh, raise those questions to the level of consciousness and be honest about them, while at the same time saying, here's some things to keep in mind. Uh, The questions I want to explore on this episode, both of them uh, came to me from listeners of the show and really are, are good ones. I mean, they're like ones that are, are not as common as maybe some of the other ones, but they're really, really important questions for us to think about. The first one is this. One of my questions, this listener says, is if the Jewish faith does not believe Jesus fulfilled messianic prophecies, then why do Christians? That's a good question. If, if the Christian faith fulfills the story of the Old Testament, and then why do so many Jews not believe it, right? And the fact is, is this has actually been a question since the days of the apostles, who, by the way, were Jews. So it's not as if all Jews have not believed it. It's just that the majority of Jews throughout the history of the time period from the days of the apostles till now have not believed it. So, yes, there's been Jewish believers, but just not the majority of them. And why is that? In fact, as I noted, that this really has been a question since the beginning, and it's really the question that lies behind what Paul says in Romans 9, 10, and 11. In fact, in those three chapters, Paul makes essentially three points that are related to this question. The first point he makes is shows up primarily in chapter 9, and that's this, that a true Jew is one who is of the promise, not just a Jew by means of the flesh. That is, just because someone is a Jew by birth and has Abraham's blood flowing through their veins doesn't make them part of God's people, part of the people of promise. That's really the point he's making in Romans chapter 9. He begins that chapter, which really is the thesis statement for 9, 10, and 11, in 9, 6, when he says, um, they are not 
all Israel who are descended from Israel. And, and so just because someone is an Israelite doesn't necessarily make them part of all Israel. In other words, part of the people of promise, part of God's people. So a true Jew is someone who's a person of the promise, not just a person of the flesh. That's the first point he makes in 9, 10, and 11. The second point he makes is, is that the key fact, the key ingredient to being part of God's people, part of the people of promise in Paul's day and ours, is believing and trusting in Yahweh. And now uh, that Messiah has come, that involves believing in the Messiah, Jesus. And so Paul then makes a third point in chapter 11 of Romans and says, God's people have always only involved a remnant of Israel. Like that's the way it was even in the Old Testament days. But the true people of God, the those who were Israelites indeed, were a faithful remnant, those who trusted Yahweh. And now that faithful remnant includes uh, believing Gentiles that are grafted into the family tree of Israel, uh, that remnant of faith that we see who believe in Jesus the Messiah. That's the point he makes in Romans chapter 11. So part of Paul's answer to this question that uh, was asked here on the podcast is, belief and trust in God has always been a struggle for Israel and for the rest of humanity. Throughout most of their history, many Jews failed to be faithful to Yahweh. That, that's just always been part of the issue, so God has always dealt with a faithful remnant. Now, let's narrow that down a little bit, get a little more specific. So why did so many Jews not believe that Jesus was the Messiah? Like In the Apostles' Day, they're wrestling with this question. The Apostle Paul experiences, like as you read the book of Acts, and the Apostle Paul travels and preaches Jesus, so much of the hostility he endured was generated by Jews who didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and they believed that Paul was teaching lies. So why is that? Why did so many of the Jews in Paul's day, clear down to the present day, not believe that Jesus was the Messiah? And the main reason is because Jesus was the wrong kind of Messiah. <laughs> he, he wasn't the kind of Messiah they expected. Um, primarily, the fact that Jesus was crucified. And Paul wrestles with this in a variety of places. He wrestles with, with it in Galatians chapter 3. He wrestles with it in 1 Corinthians and some of those early chapters of 1 Corinthians where he talks about that the cross is foolishness to the Jews uh, and a, a stumbling block to the Greeks, right? Like it's just, it's it, it doesn't make any sense. And the reason for that, as Paul notes in uh, Galatians chapter 3, is that to be crucified from a Jewish perspective meant you were cursed by God. Why in the world would God curse his own Messiah? So it's obvious, of course, that Jesus isn't the Messiah because he was under God's curse. And what Paul explains in Galatians chapter 3 is that, of course, he was under God's curse because we all deserved that curse. And so Jesus took the curse upon himself so that we ourselves could escape the curse of God should we put our faith in Jesus. And the proof, the proof that uh, Jesus really was the Messiah and that the curse was part of God's plan, well, the proof is that Jesus was risen from the dead and thus vindicated by God as God's Messiah. And so what the apostles did and what other apologists for 
Jesus being the Jewish Messiah, have done since the days of the apostle is to reason from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, to help them see from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus actually was the culmination of that story, the fulfillment of that story, and that he fulfilled where that story was going and everything that story was about came to its climax, its head in Jesus. So they reasoned from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. That's the way it's described in the book of Acts. And ultimately, it always comes back to the resurrection. And so as you watch the apostles in the book of Acts, uh, reason from the scriptures, they always come to this point of the resurrection. The apostles believed, as Jews, the apostles believed that Jesus was the Messiah because God had vindicated him by rising him from the dead. And so the Jews on the day of Pentecost believed Peter's sermon that Jesus was risen and thus Lord and Messiah. And that's why they asked, what do we need to do if that's the case, right? The Jews in the synagogues where Paul's preached, Paul preached in the book of Acts believed in Jesus as Messiah because he was risen from the dead. So why do Jewish Christians today um, and why do Jewish Christians back then believe? Well, they believe because of the resurrection. Why do Gentile Christians believe? Well, Gentile Christians ultimately believe because of the resurrection. That's the foundation of Jesus's lordship and messiahship is the fact that he was risen from the dead. And so uh, we believe uh, because Jesus was risen from the dead. Plenty of people don't believe because Jesus doesn't fit what they would think a messiah should have been. All right, now, there's more, obviously, we could say about that. We could look at a lot of the details from the book of Acts about how they reason from the scriptures. But that at least gives a framework for how that, that question, I think, should be thought about and approached. There is, by the way, an interesting chapter in Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ, written by a Jew who uh, was opposed to Jesus, even hostile in spirit towards Jesus, and eventually came to believe in Jesus. And he tells his story in that book, The Case for Christ. That whole book, The Case for Christ, is really, really just a very readable and helpful investigation where Lee Strobel basically replays his journey from atheism to faith as an investigative reporter. And so that book is worth checking out, The Case for Christ, and even to follow up, The Case for Faith. And I'll put a link to those down in the notes below if you want to check those out as well. All right, the second question that I want to explore is sort of related to that question. And it was another one that came in from a listener, and it's this question. How can a loving, forgiving God condemn people for following, quote-unquote, the wrong religion, with strong faith and morality? How can a loving, gracious, merciful God condemn people for following the wrong religion and doing so, you know, with deep conviction and faith and even honest morality? How does that work? It's a good question and an important question. Let me begin uh, my thoughts on that question with a bit of an analogy. Uh, it's not a perfect analogy. No analogy ever is. But it's an analogy that helps at least make one really important point for us to think about. So imagine you're planning a trip, a great vacation getaway. You board the plane. You settle in for your multi-hour flight. And you're looking forward to your vacation. But when you land, you've ended up at the wrong destination. 
Somehow you boarded the wrong plane. You believed it was the right plane. You were certain it was the right plane, so certain, in fact, that you didn't pay attention to or hear any of the indicators that it was the wrong flight, and, and thus you were wrong, sincerely wrong, blissfully wrong, but wrong nonetheless. And the point of that analogy is this. Having strong, sincere belief in something doesn't make it so. In fact, you could have a legitimate belief in something and, and be sincerely wrong. Now, as I said, that's not a perfect analogy, but it does help us see that sincere belief can be in error and sincere belief can lead to the wrong destination. Uh, there was a time when a friend of mine landed in Boston, Massachusetts in the middle of the night. We were going to be taking some classes for the, the following week. And we had to get to our hotel. It was literally midnight when we got our rental car. We got on the highway and started heading to our hotel. At least that's what we believed. The problem was there are two highways coming out of where we picked up our rental car. There's Highway 1 and there's Highway 1A. And we were supposed to be on, I think we were supposed to be on Highway 1 and we were on Highway 1A. We thought we were on the right highway. We thought we were going to our hotel. But after about 40, 45 minutes of driving, we realized we are not even close to where we're supposed to be at. We're completely lost. We don't know where we're at. We sincerely believe we were heading in the right direction, but we were wrong. And sincere belief can be in error, and it can lead to the wrong destination. All right? And that's important for us just to keep that in mind. Now, the fact is, no one ultimately is condemned for following, quote-unquote, the wrong religion. Uh, according to the Bible, people are condemned for suppressing the knowledge of God and disobeying the gospel that Jesus is king. The Apostle Paul makes this clear in his letter to the Thessalonians, the second letter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul says this, that, God, at the appropriate time, will unveil his wrath and will deal out retribution or repayment, which is just repayment, right? That's the way we have to understand. That's what Paul means, that it will be just repayment. So he will deal out just repayment to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the repayment goes to people who... Uh, reject, deny, or suppress the knowledge of God and don't obey the gospel that Jesus is King, Messiah, and Lord. Uh, Paul, again, in Romans chapter 1, says that this knowledge of God is actually the default operating system of human beings, that we actually have built into us a knowledge of God and we suppress it, we push it down and ignore it. But in our in our default operating system, there's some knowledge of God hardwired into us. This is what he says in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. For the wrath of God, again, the just repayment of God is not fickle. It's not unpredictable. It is the appropriate and just repayment of God, whatever that is. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth, whatever truth it is, particularly here, the truth about God, because of unrighteousness, because of not wanting to do what's right, because of injustice, um, because, he goes on to say in verse 19, that which is known about God is evident, is obvious within them, 
For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood from what is made, from creation. So the the fact that there is a, a creator is obvious from creation. It's a kind of knowledge that we have to suppress, push down, because it's actually pretty obvious, Paul says. Um it's been clearly perceived, being understood from what has been made, so that they're without excuse. They're without excuse. For even though they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks because they became futile in their reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the eternal, incorruptible God who made everything that exists for an image in the form of corruptible mankind, of birds, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Now, uh, the point that I want to make from that is that there is a knowledge of God that is just part of the default operating system of mankind. It's evident or obvious, Paul says, from the entire creation. I think that's why you see even this growing reemergence in our world of scientists saying there's got to be some sort of mind behind all that exists. We talked about that earlier episode in this series. Um, It's just part of what it means to be human. And we suppress that. And so people aren't condemned because Uh, they follow the wrong religion. They're condemned because they deny or suppress the knowledge of God and they disobey uh, the gospel that Jesus is king. Now, the fact is, if we're going to be honest, God is the only one wise enough, just enough, and merciful enough to sort all that out fairly and rightly and accurately, right? Like God's really the only one who has all the facts who has all the perspective, who really understands humanity in its full. He's the only one wise enough, just enough, and merciful enough to figure out and sort all that out. And I'm fairly confident there's going to be surprises. I don't know what that means. That's because it's going to be a surprise. But I'm fairly confident on that final day, there will be some surprises. And there are some important sub-questions Uh, to this particular question. Like, well, what if they never heard the gospel? How can they be condemned for never hearing the gospel, disobeying the gospel, if they never heard? That's an important sub-question. And I think we need to be honest. Like, man, I don't 100% know. In fact, there are varying uh, views, even among Orthodox Bible-believing people about that, how God's going to sort that out. I think we need to be humble about that. Here's what I'm convinced of, based on what the apostles of Jesus taught us and what Jesus himself said. Here's what I'm convinced of, that whoever whoever is saved will be saved because of the mercy of God and the atonement that Jesus provides. I'm convinced of that. Scripture makes that pretty clear. How that plays out, I don't 100% know. Could God, if he wanted to, save somebody who's an honest searcher after truth, who never heard the gospel, and who never therefore put their faith in King Jesus? God's 
you know, he's just and he's merciful and God can do what's best. He could do that. If that person is saved, they're saved because of the work of Jesus. Just like all of us. The only way any of us are ever going to be saved is because Jesus died for our sins. Now, I, I don't know how God's going to sort all that out 100%. And because of that, I want to tell as many people as possible that Jesus is king. And Jesus is offering complete amnesty. And so come to Jesus and uh, you know, surrender before him, and he will grant you amnesty. He will absolve you of all your guilt and all your crimes against God. He will give you new life and restore your humanity in its fullness and completeness. And he will usher you into an eternal kind of life that begins now and lasts forever. He's promised he'll give you abundant life. I want everyone to hear that message, that Jesus is a good and faithful king who is calling all people to himself. Um, right? And so what about those who never heard? Uh, God will sort that out. But our responsibility as those who have heard is to make sure other people hear as well. Another sub-question to this question is, well, how correct does someone's theology have to be in, in order to, to not be condemned? And again, uh, we're, not, we're not saved on the basis of a theology exam. We're saved on the basis of the work of Jesus and primarily on the basis of trusting the work of Jesus. And so uh, there are people whose theology may be a little jacked up, right? Because like none of us have perfect theology. I don't have perfect theology. Uh, I'm constantly trying to let scripture inform my theology. I hope you are as well, right? We're not saved because of a theology exam. We're saved because of Jesus. And because of trusting Jesus and putting our faith in Jesus. And so, uh, again, God's the only one wise enough, just enough, and merciful enough to know who fits into the category of those who will not be condemned. And I trust him with that. I trust him because I know uh, that God in Jesus is doing everything he can to reconcile the world and people to himself. And so... Um, I hope that gives at least a little perspective on this important question. This question is a deep pastoral question, um, and God is wise enough to figure all that out. And so we want to trust him with that, and we want to be honest that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we want to share that with as many people as possible. All right, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope at least some of those thoughts help you think through these two really important questions again. As always, thank you to those of you who donate and support the Bible and Life uh, podcast, a listener's commentary, and all this online teaching. Literally, you're the ones that make this ministry go, so thanks a ton. If you want to join the team, you can click the, the link, the support link down in the notes below and, and go to the gift page and set up a one-time or a monthly uh, recurring donation there as well. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode. Thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family. I look forward to talking to you again.